I don't know what to tell you, folks. I've been gone for the last couple of weeks. This is what happens, you know. <laughs> it's been crazy. Man, it's great to be here with you and with everybody who's joining us online as well. Uh, you know, it is just, uh, I'm excited. I've seen the Christmas decorations on the stage in the lobby, hopefully at your house as well. Now, this is a really exciting Christmas for me because, frankly, we haven't been able to celebrate Christmas with all the decorations and all those things in our house for the last couple of years. Two years ago, I was coming on staff here at VRL. We were trying to sell our house. And, of course, you can't clutter up the house with all the Christmas decorations. Uh, when you're trying to sell it. So we didn't really get to go all out for Christmas. And then last year, we were all ready to go all out for Christmas again. And uh, we were supposed to move into our house in November and some things because of COVID got delayed. And we didn't move in until December 19th, which did not leave any time to put up Christmas decorations. So let me tell you, our house is decorated. I mean, it's every way, shape, or form, every light bulb I could find, I'm, I'm installing it someplace. Man, it's been fun. And I'm also looking, really looking forward to our Christmas Eve services that are coming up. Hope you're starting to think about who you're going to invite, who you're going to bring with you. Pick what service you're going to come to and then make a decision. <clears throat> uh, this is who I'm going to bring to services with me. I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to be here at this time. Come join me. Folks, Christmas Eve is a time when people are looking for a place to celebrate Christmas. They're looking for a church to go to, and they're really open to the invitation that you can introduce them to VRL and to God. And uh, we're going to have a great series that leads up to this Christmas Eve service. But today, I'm going to be wrapping up our series in God's Words to the Wise. And uh, we're really going to focus today on how God's Word really encourages us and gives us a thankful perspective. Now, I love how Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. He says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us, and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. See, those scriptures are there. They've been written long ago. They're there to teach us. To teach us what? Well, to teach us the things that bring hope and encouragement. And I love that verse because, frankly, one of my big pet peeves is people often look at the Bible as some sort of rule book. You know, it's all just rules and regulations and, you know, trying to ruin your fun in life. But Paul says it right here. The scriptures are actually about hope and encouragement and bringing that into your life. Now, I get it. These last couple of years have not been overflowing with hope and encouragement, have they? I mean, it's been, it's, it's been a really tough run. It doesn't seem like it's quite over yet. Uh, but that's what I love about the Bible. And I love it because it's real. You know, real people uh, dealing with real issues, going through real struggles. You know, it's not full of holier-than-thou people. You know, those folks who seem to have it all together and, and do what Jesus would do and wear what Jesus would wear. You know, okay, okay maybe that's a real thing. It really is. Somebody in our staff found it. It might be set up on a whiteboard in our office. I don't know. Uh, it could be. But uh, you know what I'm saying? Those people that seems like every in their life, they just, you know, model Christ and just exude Christ all around them. And sometimes I'm looking at them going, man, I don't feel like I'm doing it that well. You know, not in the middle of this struggle and, and not in the middle of this, these, you know, these tough times that maybe I'm going through or these setbacks that I'm dealing with. And, and yet that, again, is why I love the Bible, is it's not full of people who have it all together. It's full of people just like you and just like me, people who get it right sometimes, people who get it wrong sometimes, people who have struggles that are out there, and people that are dealing with life when it just gets a little bit sideways, which is why God's Word is so powerful. It meets us right where we are at. Now, today we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. He's going to go through some tough times. 
Uh, and look, oh, if you've got your Bibles, open it up to Acts chapter 18. We're going to be spending some time there today and looking at what Paul's going through as he is, uh, uh, you know, traveling about. Now, Paul is a big deal, right? Paul's a big deal. And even before Christianity, Paul was a big deal in Judaism. He was a Pharisee amongst Pharisees. He actually trained under Gamaliel, which was one of the top Pharisees of the day. And, I mean, he was a big deal in Judaism. When he becomes a Christian, he ends up being a really big deal in Christianity. Uh, He's focused primarily on ministering to the Gentiles and bringing the gospel message to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, although he also preached to the Jews as well. But his main focus were those Gentiles. He ends up starting most of the churches that we read about in the New Testament. Most of those churches, all those names you're familiar with that we talk about all the time, Paul started those churches in those towns. And as a result, Paul ends up writing most of our New Testament. But Paul wasn't any different than you and I. He had his bad days, and he struggles just like you and I do. And in Acts chapter 18, he is struggling. Now, Paul's in the middle, in Acts chapter 18, he's in the middle of his second missionary journey. Uh, he's out traveling around. He starts just north of Jerusalem in Antioch. He starts heading around, following the coast around, stopping town to town. He's made his way over. And by Acts chapter 18 now, he is in Athens, right there at the bottom down there uh, in Greece. And he's heading off into Corinth. As a matter of fact, chapter 18, verse 1 says exactly that. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. That sounds like a really simple passage, right? Just kind of giving us the lowdown. You know, the 911 on what Paul's doing, and uh, sure enough, he's heading off into Corinth. Well, folks, that statement sounds really simple, but it is very loaded. See, Paul, Paul's not doing so well as he leads, leaves Athens and heads into Corinth. As a matter of fact, he actually talks to the Corinthian church about that a few years later. A few years later, Paul writes a letter. We call it 1 Corinthians today. He writes a letter to the church. Look at when Paul describes himself as he's traveling from Athens to Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, I came to you, I showed up in Corinth in weakness, timid, and trembling. Now, folks, there's a word for that feeling. That, feeling, that word is discouragement. Webster actually defines discouragement as a loss of confidence or enthusiasm. And that's exactly what Paul was experiencing here. See, things had not been going well for us. See, most of us, we view Paul as a spiritual giant, but things weren't always puppy dogs and rainbows uh, for Paul and on his missionary journey. Sometimes they got really tough, and Paul was struggling as he made this, this journey. Now, first of all, Paul was just fatigued. Remember that, that map when it was up? It kind of went all around the coastline. There's no cars, there's no buses, there's no trains. Paul's making this journey on foot. This is taking years, you know, of travel as Paul makes this on foot. This is, I mean, even the, the trip when he says, oh, then Paul went from Athens to Corinth. Folks, that was a 53-mile walk, right? That As Paul's walking into town, he's figure, finishing up a 53-mile journey. I mean, he's just physically worn out. He's towards the end of his journey. This has been long. It's been grueling. And it's been grueling for some really significant reasons, and that is he's faced a lot of setbacks. These Towns leading up to Corinth have been very, very difficult for Paul. First of all, we read about Thessalonica, right? We have the book Thessalonians, and you read Thessalonians and you read about people of faith and they're following Jesus and, and Paul, you know, commending them for things, and you go, oh man, what a great town of faith. When you, if you read the, through uh, Acts, just a ch- couple chapters before, when Paul's in Thessalonica, they are so angry with Paul that he, they're literally trying to kill him. 
He has to escape in the middle of the night from Thessalonica. He, he sneaks out in the middle of the night from Thessalonica and heads over to Berea, fearing for his life. Now, they made a couple of converts there, but the people hated him so much they were trying to kill him. That's not what you call effective missionary practice, right? Or at least you're not feeling very effective. And then he goes, he gets to Berea, and you think, all right, hey, things are looking pretty good now. The Bereans actually kind of welcome Paul, and they're listening to what he has to say. And then guess what? The Thessalonians showed up. They found out he was in Berea. They were so angry with him, they wanted to get him so much, they chased him from Thessalonica over into Berea, which wasn't too far away. And so they chased him into Berea and again tried to take his life. He has to flee out of Berea for his life as well. This time Paul puts a little more distance. He heads all the way down to Athens. Athens, probably about two or three times the distance from Thessalonica to Berea, from Berea to Athens. And you think, all right, he's, he's now going to be far enough away that it's probably not going to be a problem. Now he's going to be set up. No, not so much. <laughs> Things don't go well for Paul in Athens either. Now, I told you I was out of town for a couple of weeks. My family and I actually took a trip to both Greece and Italy, and we just got back from that. And I didn't realize I was going to run into this, but we went to see the Acropolis in Athens, right? Uh, you know, just a phenomenal, you know, temple to the, you know, to Athena. Actually, matter of fact, multiple temples up on this hillside. It was just amazing. But if you look at this picture, that little stony ground right in front of it is referred to as the Areopagus. The Areopagus is actually where Paul preaches to the people of Athens. And they've got it documented back. Matter of fact, his first convert is buried there as a testimony from where he came to Christ. And so Paul's standing in this location, in the shadow of this functional, massive temple. And matter of fact, this area, Pegasus area, was actually well-developed. It was where they did all their teaching and, and where they talked about religion and philosophy. And there were idols to all the different Greek gods set up around the perimeter of this hilltop where Paul would have been preaching. I mean, folks talk about intimidating. I mean, he's in the shadow of this massive fully functional temple surrounded by the idols of Greece. And here he is standing there going, hey, let me tell you about, uh, well, you guys are all wrong. Let me tell you about what's really happening. Folks, it's kind of like a, a Huskies fan showing up on the Cougar campus this week and saying, hey, the Huskies are awesome, right? I mean, not, not, not after the Apple Cup, right? Got some Cougar fans in here? Y'all excited? Yeah, I know. Uh, Dan's supposed to be coming to the next service. We're going to have to give it to him. Uh, about that, but uh, the uh, actually I got no dog in that hunt, uh, you know. But coming from Georgia, I've uh, been more and more watching the Georgia Bulldogs. But uh, anyway, folks, we uh, you know it'd be like literally if you're a Huskies fan, and you go onto the Cougar campus and go, hey, let me tell you why the Huskies are better than anything you got going on, right? That's not uh, that's not going to go over real well. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the people of Athens called Paul or sneered at Paul and called him a babbler. You know, you're not making any sense. This is, you know, ridiculous, the stuff that you're talking about. Again, if Paul was looking for a win, he didn't show up in the right place. Now, all that leading up was enough to cause Paul to be discouraged as he entered into Corinth. But we also see that Paul is also going to feel very overwhelmed by what he's about to get himself into. See, Corinthian, or Corinth was actually known as a, uh, a very depraved city. In the middle of the city was a temple to Aphrodite, you know, the goddess of love. The act of worshiping Aphrodite was to have sex with temple prostitutes that were located in the temple at the center of the city. The whole city revolved around this. Uh, it was what they were all about. It was like 
I mean, literally in that day and age, to be referred to as a Corinthian was actually somebody cutting you down. It was somebody questioning your moral character. It was a, a slur, if you will, that you could throw at somebody if you uh, just, you know, questioned their character because the, the depravity of Corinth was that well known. And imagine Paul walking into that city knowing that God had called him to bring the gospel message, the message of Christ to these people who were so far from God. But I think maybe the main reason that Paul was so discouraged or, or was feeling the weight of his discouragement is that when Paul enters into Corinth, he's actually alone. He's physically alone. Now, Paul typically traveled with groups of people, and they would go from, from city to city. But because of everything I just described to you, that Paul had been chased out of town after town after town, they would make a couple of converts, and he would leave somebody behind to teach them and help them to know what they needed to know as they were new Christians, Right? And so they would stay behind, and they would later catch up with Paul. So as Paul, though, walked into Corinth, he literally walked into that city alone, cut off from the people who gave him, you know, could give him support and could, could give him encouragement. Now, now I'm going to be honest with you. As I was preparing this message, I was sitting in my office, and I kind of got to this point now, and I just sat back in my chair because I'm like, wow, what a great description about what these last two years have felt like, isn't it? I mean, don't we feel fatigued, just worn out by, you know, the constant doing, the journey, you know, step after step, moving forward. You know, it just seems like no matter what we do, we put out all this effort and effort after effort, and it just doesn't seem to produce much in it, and it just is, is tiring. It just wears us out. Uh, we face so many different setbacks seems like, hey, we're finally coming out of corona, and then the Delta virus comes in, the Delta variant comes in, and all this stuff, and now it's back. Or, hey, we're, we're done with masks, and now we got to put masks back on. Or, or, hey, politics are finally settling down, or the market, or whatever it is that we've been dealing with. Kids are back in school, and, you know, all these different things. seems like we take two steps forward, but then we end up taking five steps back. That's what this whole year, these last couple years, have felt like. And as a result of it, we just feel really overwhelmed. I mean, how do you manage all this stuff? How do you, you know, it seemed like life was so much simpler two years ago, right? Now it's become so complex and so overwhelming. And as a result of that, studies are now showing Americans are experiencing the highest levels of loneliness that have ever been recorded. We may even have people around us, but we're still experiencing this high level of loneliness. And now that's discouraging to think about, right? But there's some good news. God has some words to the wise, powerful words and principles that encourage us and build us back up and, and can give us that hope and encouragement that Paul talks about to the church in Rome. But here's the most important thing you're probably going to hear today, and, and that is this. Just like the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, we have the same choice that we need to make. Not just today, not just in this moment, but each and every day of our life. And that is whether, and this is what this whole series has been about. This isn't just about, you know, today's message. It's just about this entire series. Are we going to choose to lean into God's word or are we going to choose instead to follow our own logic, our own path, and make our own way in life? 
Paul had that choice. He was in this depths of his discouragement. God's going to reach out to him in a number of significant ways, but Paul's going to have to choose whether he's going to lean into that or not, just like we have to make that same choice today. Because God's going to be faithful to us. He knows us. He knows what we need. He knows how to get it to us, but we've got to be willing to lean into that. Now, Paul does that uh, by, first of all, listening to God, just listening to God's voice as God speaks to him directly. And God does speak to us directly as well. Now, I know for most of us, this isn't going to be actual spoken words. Uh, he's going to speak to us instead through his written word, the Bible. Now, for Paul, it came actually in a vision. If you look at, look at Acts chapter 18, verses 9 to 11, and what's happened here is Paul's gotten into Corinth. He again is having some setbacks. So uh, by verse 9, God comes to him. He says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And he told him, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. I mean, what an amazing message for Paul, right? It's exactly what he needed to hear. First of all, Paul, stay on mission. Don't give up. He had already started to share his faith with some people in Corinth and was getting rejected, just like he had been rejected in all these towns before. But God says, no, 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 don't give up. Stay the course. Stay faithful. Keep preaching the gospel message to them. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. I'm going to be with you, Paul. How important was it for Paul to hear that nobody is going to attack you? Nobody is going to harm you after he's been chased out of all these towns, people trying to take his life. And lastly, it's kind of hidden here in the text. You have to sort of make a connection, but God gives Paul a vision for the future of Corinth. He says, look, many people in this city belong to me. No, they don't. Not yet. They will eventually. We'll, we're going to read these letters to the Corinthian church, these two great letters, and, and see all the people that have come to Christ. But when Paul walks in, there, the gospel has not been presented in this town yet. There are not many people. There may be one or two, you know, that maybe travel there from another city, but there are not many people in Corinth. God's giving Paul a vision for the future, a vision for what's going to come if he's going to stay faithful. But I want you to imagine for a second, Right? Paul gets this vision from God. And Paul's response, instead of going, all right, I'm going to go preach. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to believe in the vision that God has given me. Instead, it goes, yeah, you know, just a dream. Doesn't really matter. Not, not really important to me. Or maybe this is good info for other people. Maybe, you know, not so much for me right now. You don't understand the stuff I'm dealing with. This isn't really applying. Or, or maybe I just don't have time. I got too many problems to deal with right now to worry about this vision, God. Does that sound familiar? Because I do that. You know, when I'm stuck in those, when those tough times come and I'm trying to deal with all that stuff, I mean, sometimes I'm like, all right, God, I know I'm reading your word, but I don't really want to listen to it right now. I don't, I don't, I don't really want to apply it to my situation right now. Paul could have done that. Instead, he leans into God's word. That's me choosing my own path. But Paul, instead, he leans into that word and he stays there for a year and a half and, and, this, and has a huge impact on this city, and which eventually has a huge impact even on that region. See, God does still speak to us. He speaks to us through his word, through his words to the wise, and, and, and we simply have a choice. Are we going to make it a priority? Are we going to stay committed to reading and listening to God's word, listening to what God has to say to us? 
Because in the midst of our darkest time, in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of being discouraged, when we've lost confidence and faith about what's going on in our lives, God has a message for us, but not if we're unwilling to listen to it. Paul listens. I don't always listen. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. But it takes that constant, continual commitment to God's word. Now, that may be the simplest way that God gets us through discouragement. It's, it sounds simple. It's maybe one of the most challenging. But he's also going to help us. Uh, uh, he wants to literally change who we are. He doesn't want to just get information into our head. He actually wants to change our life. And he does that by building and remodeling our lives. He builds and remodels our hearts and our minds and our spirit. Now, frankly, there's way too many things in the Bible for us to cover right now. <laughs> the Bible's just full, cover to cover, about how God shapes us, how he builds us, how he helps us to take on the image of Christ, how we become more and more like Jesus, you know, how we find out how to wear what Jesus would wear, you know, all those things. You know, God does all those things throughout Scripture so many different ways. But let me focus in on the one that he communicates to Paul here in Corinth because it was critical for Paul, and I believe that when we're dealing with discouragement, it's critical for us as well. And that's God's words to the wise tells us to live in relationship. Now, remember what I told you. Paul walked into Corinth alone, right? He didn't have a band of people with him. He didn't have his crew. That was in verse 1. Paul travels from Athens to Corinth. In verse 2, God immediately changes that situation. Because all the way back in Garden of Eden, God, God says it was not good for man to be alone. God knew it wasn't good for Paul to be alone. And so immediately after Paul walks into Corinth, I mean immediately God leads Paul to two people who will become good friends with common interests and a common faith. Look at Acts chapter 18, verses 2 and 3. Then he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Now think about a, a, a you know, beating down Apostle Paul, meeting up with these folks. How important would they have been to him? But for that matter, how important would Paul have been to them? Because they had just been deported. They had been kicked out of Rome, right, uh, as because they were Jewish. And so they go to, you know, the next town they can find, and they're trying to get through life, just like Paul's trying to deal with his situation. And here they are. They connect. Man, they've got a common culture. They're all Jews. They were raised Jewish. You know, they've got a common faith, common culture, common background, a connection there. They were even tent makers. They had the same profession. They, they really had a lot of connections. Uh, we don't know whether they were believers in Christ when they got there or whether they became believers in Christ after meeting Paul. They don't tell us. But we do know that a year and a half later, when Paul leaves Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla actually leave with Paul. They leave with Paul and start becoming partners with him and go on his missionary journeys, not only this one, but also additional ones in the future. They become partners in his work. They had such an impact on Paul, Paul had such an impact on them that they all become a team together. Matter of fact, Paul gives special mention of these two in four of his letters that we find in the New Testament. In Romans, Paul refers to them as his fellow workers in Christ, his that's his phrase for team members. And in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Timothy, Paul says uh, um, that they, he sends out a special greeting both to them and from them. And the fact that they're 
being uh, greetings from them to these churches, these letters that were distributed amongst the church and sometimes multiple churches is very significant. It means they became actual uh, spiritual leaders amongst many churches and amongst the movement as a whole. These two strangers became very significant in Paul's life, and he did for them because God used them in very significant in a very significant time in Paul's life. And you know what we call that around here? We call that a life group. That's what we call it. We get people together that have a common interest and a common faith, and maybe they even have a common job and do similar work together. Maybe they're a, a bunch of married couples and trying to figure out how to do marrieds or a bunch of single folks or trying to figure out how to do single, you know, whatever. We get common people with common interests together to study God's words to the wise together. And through a relational environment, we're going to be built up in Christ. God's going to shape our life. He's going to mold us into who he wants us to be and pull us out of those times of discouragement to give us the strength to get through those times of discouragement because we're centered on Christ. God's trying not to control us or ruin all of our fun. Instead, he puts us into those situations to protect us and to provide for us, just like a loving father does for his child. And when we do those things, see, when we do those two key principles together, when, we're, when we focus on actually listening to the words of God, to listening how God is speaking to us, and when we begin to, you know, welcome in this change process, whether it's in relational environments or studying God's word directly or just by ourselves, you know, when we welcome in the many different ways that God tries to change and mold our lives into the image of Christ, then our perspective begins to change. We actually begin to live with an eternal and thankful perspective. I can't emphasize how powerful an eternal perspective is in regards to how you process and see life. I mean, we're literally made this way. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Even if we can't see the bigger picture, it says, even if we can't see the whole scope of God's work, that eternity is planted in our heart. To not have an eternal perspective is to deny your own nature about how God has, has created you to be. Now, here's why we don't typically have an eternal perspective, because of the junk that goes on in our life, right? The junk gets right here, and it gets right in front of our face, and it, it's just all we can see. We're trying to get our hands around, and we're trying to deal with this, and we're trying to move through this or, or overcome this or whatever it needs to, needs to happen, and we're, it's just stuck right there, and we lose our perspective because all we can see is what's right in front of us, what's the struggle that's before us in this day. But eternal perspective is that process through listening to the voice of God, through letting others speak into our life, letting God shape us, that God pushes that out of the way. And we're able to look over the top and to see eternal perspective. And what that means is simply see what God is doing in the bigger picture, to see what's going on beyond this stuff. It's so easy to get stuck in the here and now. It's so easy to get stuck with your head down, staring at your feet, that you can't see what's on the horizon. That's that eternal perspective. That is a life-changing shift for us. And when we have that perspective, then we begin to develop a perspective and a life of thankfulness and gratitude. You ever notice how it's hard to be depressed when you're thankful? You ever, you ever notice that? I mean, it's such a simple thing, and yet something that we so easily miss. Colossians 2.7 
is a really powerful verse. Don't miss this one. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Okay, that's what we're talking about. This whole series of God's word to the wise, sinking our roots down into God, listening to his words in our life. And then our faith will grow strong in what? The truth, God's word, truth of God's word in our lives that we were taught. And then if that happens, if we sink down those roots, if we grow strong in the truth that we're taught, then we just naturally overflow with thankfulness. Did you get all that? Folks, when we're rooted in God's word, when we're built up according to his plan, when we're taught from his word, it is a natural byproduct to overgrow with, overflow with gratitude and thankfulness, and that changes everything. Folks, as we, uh, as we wrap this up, not only this message, but also this entire series, I want to bring you back to that choice I said we all have. You have a choice today, tomorrow, and every day after. Are you going to choose to lean into God's words to the wise? Or are you going to choose to lead yourself? Make your own way. Follow your own path. One changes everything. The other gets us stuck right here, just like Paul was stuck. But God led him out of that because he listened to God's words and God's leading. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much. Thank you for so much for your word that has such a, a dramatic impact in our lives. God, it leads us, it shapes us, it molds us. God, in the, in the most difficult times and also in our, our, the best times of our life, God, you are there wanting to lead us and shape us into the image of your son, which ultimately produces that, that eternal perspective, that, that shift perspective that produces gratitude and thankfulness no matter where we look. God, we pray that we would make the choice to lean into your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.